Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Elliot Anderson, stop it down behind his head. Sekou Smith, the tip-in is good at the buzzer. Now it's time for the tip Back again for the start of training camp and media days around the NBA. Sekou Smith from NBA.com, the Hangtime blog, joined by my illustrious partner in crime, Lang Whitaker, executive editor of Slam Magazine, joining us via Skype from New York. Lang, how are you? I'm good, man. I think I was singing, I think they call it media day because it's the day that all of us in the media have to start working. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they ought to call it something else, like doomsday. Back to Uh, work. (laughs) I was was thinking about it this morning as I got up, I was like, oh, great, here we go, you know, from now until mid-June, late June, you know. There is no, there's no other sport, I'm assuming, other than baseball where the season must seem like it runs as long as an NBA season. I know the NHL plays, you know, all those games, but they have, like, great breaks in the NHL. They get an Olympic break during Olympic years. You know, we don't get we don't get that long break in the NBA. Some teams do. <laughs> <laughs> Very Maybe true, Lang. Very true. <laughs> Maybe Maybe not everybody's complaining. <laughs> I want to ask for an update about the Smyrna Spartans. Uh, what you've been doing on your break, coaching well, Little League football. Well, let's just say. What's the matter? <laughs> let's just say things aren't as rosy as they were a couple of weeks ago. We, <laughs> we, have, we have hit a, a slight uh, bump in the road. We, we have not scored a point in, I believe, seven quarters. <laughs> so we're, we're currently doing some soul searching as coaches and players and as an organization. Man, I sound like a coach just getting fired or something. Don't I? Um, You're gonna have to shake up the uh, staff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna, we're looking. Team meeting. We're, we're currently looking for free agents. Closed um, door meeting. We're trying to work a trade out or two, and see if Carmelo wants to come and play the rest of this season with us. Anything we can do to get it, you know, get the thing re-energized. But no, we're we're trying to get ourselves right. We're trying to get our minds right, man, and get uh, get back in the swing of things. It started with so much promise. Yeah, I mean, we're two and three. Um, but we just offensively we hit the skids the last couple of weeks. You know the sad part, and I, I've already apologized to coaches everywhere. Um, I have the dual uh, responsibility of not only being one of the coaches but one of the parents. So like, all the parents are mad at the coaches one minute, and then you know the coaches are mad at the parents one minute. I'm mad at myself, and I don't even know what to do. Some <laughs> days, like some days, I get up and curse myself out for no reason. I don't, you know. <laughs> Every we're all in we're all in turmoil right now. We got to get ourselves together, but. Thank goodness right. for the start of the NBA season. I was going to say, yeah, it's a good thing we're getting going. Man, I'm telling you, because I have been too consumed with it. It's time to get back to business. Speaking of business, have you uh, have you figured out yet what it is that Carmelo Anthony is trying to do? Uh, now he's, he doesn't want to be traded. He's a nugget for now, I guess. Um, well, if he says he wants to be traded, he, he could get fined. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, so publicly, he's, he's, he can't Yeah, publicly, say he's a nugget for now, which means he could be a nugget for the next 24 hours. He could be a nugget for the next, you know, six, seven months. I don't I mean, where, where does this thing go now? You know, I, I haven't spoken to Melo all summer throughout all this, but, mm-hmm. you know, I've known him for a long time. And speaking to him in the past, he always told me, I, I can't see myself playing anywhere else. Like, right. I, you know, and Denver was going to be the city for him. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it sounds like things have changed. As someone told me once, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. We're around rumors and stuff, right. and there's been a lot of smoke with this story. I, you know, today, Carmelo Media Day. I'm reading Ben Hockman's tweets right now from. Uh, yeah, I've been looking at his and a bunch of other people's. Yeah, and Ben has been tweeting from uh, Nuggets News on Twitter uh, from Media Day. Melo said, "Quote: I'm leaving my options open. At the end of the season, I'll sit down with my team. I'll sit down with the Nuggets." which makes it sound like he intends to be there this year. Um, more Mello. I've never said I wanted to be traded. I never once said anything about trade talk. Mello, I've been a nugget for seven years. This is where I started my career. Tomorrow the ball goes up and we get started. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk this weekend, though, that something's imminent uh, with him coming to New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, as of Friday, th- there was this, you know, this movement that, suggested, hey, he's going to Jersey and there's going to be this big monster four-team trade. But you know as well as I do, Lang, that any time a trade gets discussed as much as this thing did before it happened, yeah, it, you know, it's pretty hard if you don't pull the trigger on it quickly. Yeah, the longer yeah, it drags yeah, out. The longer, the longer you go on about it, the, the harder it is to get done once everybody knows what's happening. I think it's interesting, uh, Ben had a, a another tweet where he talked about, you know, mentioned what George Carl said. Right. That, that I don't think there have been a lot of legit trade rumors. <laughs> And then right. Carl reminded everybody about Kobe's, you know, threatening to leave L.A. a few years ago and did, you know, and it not happening. So, yeah. I don't know. It's yet another interesting twist and turn in in what seems like the longest offseason slash free agent summer slash here we go to training camp, you know, period in NBA history, man. Which I, I got to admit, people complain about it, but I love it. I mean, what else are we going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> gives you something to blog about? Exactly. Gives me something to yap about, you know, and, and gives all of us something to, you know, to talk about. Um, you, you know, know. I, I don't think the – I mean, it's not like the Nuggets are, are a team that's going to finish in the cellar, you know? No. I mean, they are they won the division last year, didn't they? And they're, they're a team that between, uh, between you know, Billups, Carmelo, Nene, uh, if Kenyon's healthy, J.R. Smith, Ty Lawson, Birdman – they got a lot of really good players on that team. And I, I think last year ended in such a disappointing way with George Carl um, out treatment for his cancer. And, you know, if he comes back and, and this team can stay healthy, I think they have a shot as much as anyone else in the West. They should. I mean, Mike and I were arguing about this earlier. Uh, and not really arguing, but talking about it. Um, you know, the, do you do you take – if you're Denver, do you take one of these offers where you're getting a young player like, say, Favors and, right. a, and a veteran like Kirilenko and, you know, two f- future draft picks and this and the other for Carmelo? And having been around the league as long as you have, you know, me having been around as long as I have, I don't, I, I don't feel good putting my faith in what I'm, you know, what might be down the road. or what, If I got a superstar player like Carmelo, I'm doing what the Nuggets are doing, and I'm trying to give him every reason not to want to leave. Right. Um, you know, because I don't – who knows what those draft picks might be? And who knows what Karolinko does away from Utah? You know, nobody knows. And who knows if Derek Favors is going to end up being what you think he is? You know what Carmelo is. 
Uh, I mean, you're you're basically talking about they have they have certainty with Carmelo. Yeah, I mean, there's a I mean, and whether you think that's enough as an organization, if you're the Nuggets, to make you feel good going forward or not, you at least know you got an All Star, one of the best players in the league, one of the best scorers on the planet, and a guy you can build a team around in Carmelo. Yeah. Let me ask you guys yeah. this uh, because I've definitely been seeing some of this in the talk about Carmelo and his value. A lot of the stats guys sort of look, you know, behind the numbers kind of things, aren't really as high on Carmelo as a basketball savior as I think fans might be. Do you agree with any of that? Well, they, yeah, they were pointing out that he's, his efficiency is a little overrated. So, yeah, right? they, I mean, but they also, I mean, you know, I'm, I've, I've long been opposed to this idea that those numbers, those efficiency numbers and all that, those, those other statistics tell the whole story on a player. I mean, all I know is the Nuggets were awful before Carmelo showed up. And since he's been there, they've steadily gotten better with additional pieces, obviously, added. But, right. I mean, all of it has centered around the the acquisition of Carmelo Anthony. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I think he's gotten better, too. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if those people could, can look at LeBron's numbers and, and tab him up and see that, you know – I guarantee you his loss in Cleveland will be far greater than any statistical loss, you know, the 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 impact of not having him around anymore. Now, my only point is you can look at numbers and make them say what you want them to say, but the fact is Carmelo's presence in Denver has turned them from, a, what, a 17-win team the year before he got there to a team that made the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago and has been, a, has been a factor nonstop since he's been in the league. You know, I I talked with J.R. Smith a couple of weeks ago about it, and you know that year they made the Western Conference Finals. That I, I think that was the the best I've seen them play defensively. You know, they were like a they were a rabbit on defense, going after the ball and right. uh, attacking guys, and just playing incredible defense. And I think uh, last year they that you know without George Carl there and and with various guys getting hurt with Kenyon going down, I, I, it was tough. It was tough on them and. Um, I mean, even Jr. said like their their ceiling is as high as anyone else in the West if they're all healthy and, and they're all ready to go. Um, you know, I, I know that the other thing that's in play here with Carmelo is is uh, his contract and um, next summer. I mean, he can re up now, get a, a extension, or next summer be a free agent. But depending on what happens with the collective bargaining, he could have a much smaller contract available to him. Yeah, and I think. You know, the other part about that, Lang, is th- this this notion that, you know, you go to New Jersey and they're going to be in Brooklyn in a couple of years and, and everything will be looking up. It's hard. To, it's a hard sell for a guy like Carmelo or any all-star player right now who's wanting to compete for championships immediately to tell them you go here and in a, in a year or two, you know, we'll have the kind of team we think that can compete for for a championship. That's That's a tough sell. If you're Carmelo and your peers are are starting training camp in Miami loaded with a chance that, you know, everybody thinks a chance to compete for a championship right away. And Boston is loaded. And Chicago has, you know, has revamped their team. And the Lakers are still, you know, the the two-time defending champs and loaded. Orlando, you know, Oklahoma City. I mean, Carmelo at, at this stage of his career can't really afford to go and take a step back. In, in his quest for, you know, the the NBA's version of the Holy Grail, he's got to go and chase a championship right now. Yeah. I mean, and maybe, you know, in, maybe in Jersey he thinks that Prokhorov's going to make that happen. You know, he's going to uh, change that franchise around. You, know, you got Avery Johnson there and 
uh, a lot of young guys. I don't know who they'd have to give up to get Carmelo in there, but uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't think Carmelo coming to, to Jersey would be the worst thing in the world for him. I mean, maybe, yeah, they wouldn't be contenders this season, but they're not that, I don't think they'd be that far away. And uh, I mean, when so, would they win? Like how many games they win last year? 12, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, uh, Boston's getting older. Uh, these other teams are, are going to have to figure out what they're going to do. I, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think they're that far from being a playoff team, if nothing else. And, you know, then you work on getting a championship contender status. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, another thing I, I think that's kind of overlooked a little bit, you know, Carmelo grew up in Baltimore and, right. uh, you know, where he was born, Brooklyn, sure. lived in Brooklyn until he was, I think, seven or eight years old. Right. So in a way that would be going home for him. Sure. You know, I mean, you think I, there's anything to him coming to the East if he really wants to win a title with those guys already in Miami, like, should he be like, I need to stay in the West? You know, that's a great question, Micah. Yeah. And that's Micah Hart, our super producer, uh, if if you didn't know. But um, somebody mentioned this to me the other day. They kept asking, like, you know, have all the great players shifted to one side? You know, like, you got all these players going to the Eastern Conference. Does that mean now that the West is more wide open? The two-time defending champions are loaded and still sitting over there in the West. So I don't think you have any better chance to get there on either side. I mean, it's, you're going to have to get through a formidable team, whether you're in the Western Conference or the East. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter to me. True. I mean, and, yeah, maybe in the West, you know you definitely have to go through L.A. You know, that's the one team everyone's going to have to go through. But in the East, you might have to go through Orlando. You might have to go through Miami. You might have to go through Boston for the next year or two. That, you know, it's a little – uh, I think it might be a little tougher to come out of the East, but in the West, I mean, again, LA is the team to beat, but then you got, I mean, San Antonio come around this year, Oklahoma city. There's a lot of young Portland, um, younger teams that are, that are still developing that are going to be good for a long time. I mean, I, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> We're sitting here talking about it. Glad, but... to, glad to know after that, that uh, long rambling. Uh... Obviously neither of us know what's going to happen. <laughs> right now. I mean, but I think there's a bigger question, Lane, that I'm curious about, and um, we're going to bring on our guest. Uh, TNT's uh, was a TNT analyst a few years ago, left for a while, came back now after working with the Phoenix Suns. Steve Kerr is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. And, uh, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Siku. And uh, something that's really been bothering me, certainly since the decision started, is what do you do as a as an executive in this league now when a player of Carmelo Anthony's, you know, stardom and stature asks, whether you ask for it publicly or not, obviously you can't ask for it publicly without getting fined. But if you find out, hey, this guy wants out of here, what do you do with him? Like, I know you dealt with that in Phoenix last year where there was all this question, you know, stuff surrounding Amari Stoudemire. What do you do? It was a little different with Amari because Amari wanted to stay. He just he wanted a max contract, and right. we were we were worried about his health and long term prospects. But, but yeah, I, I think it all depends on on where you are as a franchise. You know, I, I think with Denver, they're probably on the decline right mm-hmm. now, just with with Chauncey getting up there in age, and and um, you know Kenyon Martin probably moving on. I think the right move is to trade Carmelo now, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you can get. The package that they're talking about—a couple first, Derek Favors. Um, you know, I, I, I like that. And, and the problem is, 
if you don't, then you end up like like Cleveland, like Toronto, where you you lose your star guy and you get really nothing in return. Although both teams kind of salvaged a couple draft picks at the end, but I, I mean, it's you're in a tough spot though as a, as an executive. You just can't get caught uh, with with nothing. That's the biggest the biggest regret I think you have in that case. Mm. Steve, it's uh, Lang Whitaker from Slam Magazine. Do you wish that now, in retrospect, that you'd been able to move Amari back then? Well, we were only committed to doing uh, something if it made sense long term. Right. You know, it, it was no secret that we were exploring things. I mean, it was out there for <laughs> about two years, it seemed <laughs> like. Uh, but every other team had the same concerns we did, just in terms of, um, you know, long term health. You know, Amari had the, the microfracture knee surgery about six right. years ago. And um, knowing that you're going to have to commit $100 million uh, to, to him. You know, so every team had similar concerns. So as a result, we never really had a, an offer that made any sense. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, if something had come our way uh, that, that really could have improved the franchise long term, we would have done it. Steve, do you look at these deals and the prospects of these deals, uh, and certainly as an executive, are the draft picks, you know, if you're talking two future first-round picks, is that what makes or breaks one of these deals? Because rarely are you going to get – a star for star, you know, trade that you, you know, you trade Carmelo and get somebody of his caliber. The only way that, that the, the draft picks really can make a, a big difference is if the, the pick comes in, you know, as a, as a high lottery mm-hmm. uh, selection. Right. And I believe, you know, the, the pick that they're talking about uh, with New Jersey and Denver is, is a Golden State pick a couple of years from now mm-hmm. that's maybe protected one through seven. Uh, I know that's one of the picks that's been discussed anyway. Um, but, but really the key guy is favors because in any deal like this, you want to get one guy who, who can be special. Yeah. You know, there's so many trades that have happened in, in recent years where a team gets two first-round picks, like Memphis, for example, and the Gasol deal. They get two first-round picks. Well, they got them from the Lakers, so they get a 27 <laughs> and a 29. That's not going to change your, your franchise. Right. Uh, favors is a guy who's so talented that he's got the potential to be an all-star, and, and, and that's the kind of, of chip you have to get in a deal like this. Mm-hmm. We were, Steve, we were talking before you came on about if you're Carmelo, does, it, does going to the East make it an easier route to a championship than staying in the West uh, right now? What's your thought on that? Well, it's going to be tough to get to the finals in the East for the next <laughs> foreseeable future, <laughs> seven years or so. Uh, because those those three are going to form a, a obviously a great triumvirate, and and I think Miami's just only going to improve uh, over the next few years because all those guys are really in their prime. But you know I think what's quietly happening in the West compared to Miami anyway uh, right. is that Oklahoma City's kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's not nearly as high profile, but you know give me give me Westbrook and Green and Durant uh, and James Harden and and cap room and picks uh i'll take that um almost right there with miami i love what the what what the thunder are doing and and obviously you got the lakers uh, for the foreseeable future as well with kobe and gasol so uh, there's no easy road no matter which conference you're in right steve do you think we've all kind of rushed to anoint the heat as the favorite to win the eastern conference and, and face the lakers i mean and i know that that's part of our business and what we do right. projections and <laughs> predictions but I've been feeling kind of buyer's remorse now for the last month, thinking maybe we jumped the gun on this, mostly because we didn't, we weren't sure about Boston when they did it, 
and they went out and won 66 games and, and won a championship that first year. Yeah, you know, the, the purist in me has been saying, you know, kind of <laughs> inwardly, let, let's, you know, let's let this happen, and they're, they're not going to do it yet. It's going to take them time. But, you know, the more and more I think about it, I, I just I have a really hard time seeing anybody in the East beating them. <laughs> I, I think regular season Miami wins 65 games. I right. mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna have home court. I just have a hard time seeing Boston and Orlando keep, keep pace. Uh, but what I think is really intriguing is, you know, what happens in the playoffs when it's crunch time? You know, how have those guys' roles developed and materialized? Talking about LeBron and Wade and, and Bosch, because it, it has to happen. We have to see it happen. They have to blend. The pieces have to fit. They've got to really play well together under pressure as a team. And, and until we see that, you know, we, we won't know. But we have an idea. <laughs> well, we think we do, but you know, when yeah. when they play when they play Boston, I mean, I you know, I was convinced all last year that Cleveland would would beat Boston in a playoff series. I mean, they won way more games, and Boston struggled all year, and then the playoffs right. come, and you know, you know, I know Cleveland didn't have the talent Miami does, but in the end, there's always five or six teams that have a shot, and it's always you know, the, the, the teamwork and the defense and how it all comes together that, that seems to make the difference. Yeah. Do, do you think we're kind of looking at an L.A.-Miami battle for the title the next couple uh, of years? You know, there? I'm not ready to, to hand that over to the Lakers. They've, they've been to the finals three years in a row. Uh, right. That wears you out. You know, I, I just think that uh, just my own experience in Chicago, you know, the third year right. we made the finals in 98, that was Michael's last, last year with the Bulls. We were running on fumes, and, yeah. and this would be the fourth season in a row to get to the finals. That's so many games. And if you remember, you know, last year Kobe had his knee issues during the season. Derek mm-hmm. Fisher's gotten older. Um, they've Bynum's been injury prone. You know, it wouldn't shock me at all if if somebody else uh, knocked the Lakers off in the West this wow. year. Steve, let me ask you this, and I don't want to get you in trouble with uh, Mitch Kupchak or Phil Jackson, <laughs> but how – how unhappy would you have been with Andrew Bynum if he shows up to training camp having not gotten that surgery and not, you know, not 100% ready for the start of camp? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, Shaq used to do that all the time, so I guess the Lakers have, have their experience <laughs> with <laughs> centers who take their time getting healthy. Um, but I think Phil's handling it the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it is a, a marathon, and, and uh, there, there is a big mental aspect to this game. When the season ends, especially after a finals season where you play 100 plus games guys do need to get away and if if you know if they get surgery right away and they're in rehab and you know mentally they could be fried sometimes it's better just to just to take your time especially for a team like the lakers it's not going to have any trouble getting into the playoffs i don't have a huge issue with it uh, mm-hmm. as long as you know he's uh, he comes back well and, and goes through his rehab and gets his work in you know if he's back in late november it's not going to impact their season one way or the other if let's say you know Steve, as you said, the Lakers three years in a row in the finals, that say that hangover kind of kicks in. Like, what team do you think could come out of the West ahead of them this year? Well, I think Oklahoma City is. Uh, they're 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 probably not ready yet, and right. I know that they're taking that stance as a franchise. They're really trying to temper expectations, mm-hmm. uh, but they gave the Lakers more trouble than anybody in the playoffs last year. You know, I, I thought uh, I'd like to say that we did in Phoenix in the conference finals. We took them to six, and we we put some pressure on them. But but I don't think they really felt 
the same kind of pressure that they did against Oklahoma City with that youth and explosiveness and, and the greatness of, of Durant. And so I think Oklahoma City's got the best shot. I would say uh, San Antonio still has some gas in the tank. We'll see, uh, we'll see if their new additions uh, can, you know, Splitter coming over to help Duncan on the front line. I think he can help. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Portland, with Greg Oden. Uh, obviously a ton of talent there. And then you got the, the usual suspects, you know, Houston, Phoenix, uh, Utah. They're all going to be good teams, and, and uh, so it's going to be fun to watch it all happen. Steve, I'm, I'm, you mentioned the conference finals, you know, with the Suns and the Lakers last year, and I was out there uh, covering that series for NBA.com, and it's, I was thinking at the time, and I talked with some other reporters about it, what made you guys think that a 10-man rotation, A, could work, and, and was it the players – or was it just a commitment to that style of play that you guys decided, hey, we're going to go with this, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, we'll you know we'll switch it up or whatever. But in a league where it's so few teams will go that deep into their bench during the playoffs, you guys made it work out there. And I'm wondering when you decided that you're going to stick with that and why. Well, you know, I, I thought Alvin did a great job throughout the year of of generating the chemistry. We had so many young guys. Who, who really wanted to play, and, and we had to get better defensively. Mm-hmm. And we weren't going to do that unless we utilized that, that youth and that enthusiasm and the athleticism. And so I think Alvin Gentry did a great job early kind of establishing the fact that he was going to play whoever played the hardest. Mm-hmm. And um, so you had guys like Robin Lopez and Jared Dudley and Goran Dragic, Lou Amundsen, all of a sudden you know, they're coming in in that second unit and really making a, a huge difference with their energy, and it kind of gave us a different dynamic. We've always been great. I'm still saying we, as you can, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> the Suns have always been great offensively, but uh, defensively was where we, we wanted to make the difference. And, right. um, you know, I thought that second unit was the key to our, to our defensive energy, and, and that's, uh, that's where, where they really came into play, and, and, and that's what Alvin – figured out early he had to play those guys as a unit and play a lot of them well I, I bring that up because I read over the weekend where Mark Cuban has basically decided hey that's the way to go and Dallas is trying to duplicate what you guys did last year some people think you know this this big three in Miami and Boston is maybe the way the league is turning and then you look at teams on the other side of the coin that are doing it differently and and going with these 10-man rotations or deeper rotations, and I'm wondering which direction do you think the rest of the league is going to follow? Well, most, most teams aren't going to be able to get LeBron, Wade, and, and Boss. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> I think you've got to just kind of uh, handle it according to your own personnel. You know, for, for us, I mean, we have the, we had the Stoudemire-Nash combination, uh, which is probably the best pick-and-roll combination, you know, ever, along with Stockton and Malone. Mm-hmm. But neither guy is, is a defensive stopper, you know. Right. And, and so, so in order to support those guys, it was important to, to throw the young guys out there with Dragic and Lopez and, 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 and have a different look defensively. And I think Dallas maybe is in a similar situation. You've got, you've got guys like Dirk and Jason Terry and Karan Butler. I mean, excellent offensive players, but no real defensive identity with those guys. So. Mm-hmm. When you have a situation like that, I think it's important to, to bring in a new dynamic uh, that you can come off the bench with uh, and really change the game. And, and I, thought, uh, I, I thought Dallas did a pretty good job of augmenting their bench over the summer. I'm not going to let you off the hook yet about Phoenix. I'm just wondering, <laughs> how do you think a 
Turkaloo plays in this year. I've always really loved him as a player. Um, you know, I, I've got mixed emotions about um, how that's going to play out um, because he had a lousy year last year, so he's got yeah. a lot to, to turn around, and he's got four years on his deal. So as a, as a general manager, you always get a little nervous about those long-term big deals. Um, but he's a great guy. Um, I knew him back in my San Antonio days when he came to town, and, and – uh, Terrific teammate. He wants to be in Phoenix. Uh, he'll fit right in offensively. He'll give Nash a rest as a as a ball handler and a facilitator. Uh, so I think Phoenix will once again lead the league in scoring and and uh, be very explosive. And the question mark is, you know, defense and rebounding, because if they're going to play Hito at four, yeah, uh, you know, that's where you you run into some problems, particularly in the playoffs. So you know, we'll just have to have to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I'm I'm curious too. You mentioned we talked about the Lakers and a lot of the other teams. Who do you see as the team that's kind of the upstart this year? You know, Oklahoma City kind of stormed the scene this past season. Um, who on on either side, either East or the West, who's the team that's going to kind of come out of nowhere and surprise people? You know, I think Utah did a a really nice job getting Al Jefferson. It's tough to get a guy like that. Um, you know, sort of on the fly. I mean, you usually have to draft a player like that or or make a a huge trade and. Um, you know, replacing Boozer was going to be tough, but getting Al Jefferson was, was big. And I, I think Darren Williams is so good that you put a combination like that together uh, and, and a coach and a system like Utah has, you know, with Jerry Sloan running that same offense they've run for 25 years <laughs> or whatever it is. I, I think Utah will be very good. Um, and I'm anxious to see what Houston does. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think Scola showed in the world championships that, you know, he's one of the best power forwards in the game. And uh, they've got a lot of assets with those two New York picks. Uh, they've got some good young talent with, with Aaron Brooks and, and that gang. And, and uh, so we'll see. I, you know, don't count them out of a, a major trade-type situation where they could suddenly improve you know, as the season goes on. Daryl Morey is a hell of a, a general manager, and, and they've got the chips now to, to kind of uh, you know, make, a, make a big move. So it'll be interesting to see what, what they do and, and how it progresses in Houston. What kind of impact do you think Amari can have on the Knicks this year? Well, Amari's going to be good. You know, he's 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 playing the Mike D'Antoni style, where he's going to get a lot of shots and score a lot of points. Uh, I like the Raymond Felton pickup, and and mm-hmm. I think Anthony Randolph uh, has a ton of potential. I think the Knicks will be improved, and and I would suspect that that uh, they'll get one of those final playoff spots in the East. Just when you look at the conference top to bottom, right. Um, so, you know, the key with Amari is, is, you know, staying healthy, and he's done that for the most part. Uh, the last, you know, last year he, he was there uh, for Phoenix all year. Uh, the eye injury the year before was really a fluke. So, right. you know, I think, I think Amari will, will do well. Um, you know, it's just going to be the, the typical New York situation, though. You know, <laughs> how, how much is enough? And, and uh, if the fans are expecting more than, you know, maybe a seventh or eighth seed in the East, uh, then they're, they're probably uh, their, their hopes may be a little bit too high. Hmm. Well, Steve, listen, uh, we're going to let you refer to we from now on as TNT, <laughs> and I mean, we're glad to have you back. I, I hate it for the Suns, but uh, you know, you, you're, you're part of this family again now, so it's, again, it's great to have you back in the fold, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you down the line and seeing you on TV. Well, I appreciate it. We will last until opening night. Uh, <laughs> since it's opening night, we, we refers to TNT. That's right. That's right. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, All right, Steve. guys. All Thanks. right, take care.
Lang, I, I'm glad to get uh, a, the perspective of someone other than my, you know, irrational self because here I am saying I would I don't like trades for future picks and this that, and the other, but when you're a GM, you have to be thinking, yeah, three and four years down the line. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I'm I think probably more from a a fan's perspective in that I'm not I'm not worried about long term security and you know, whether or not the the salary structure is what it needs to be in 2016. I'm like, I need you to win now. Like, I need I'm you know, there, a, I need it now. There's very few times, I think, where the GM is given, like, the opportunity to build for right now. Yeah. Like, like Danny Ames did in Boston a couple of years ago, and Pat Riley's doing it in Miami right now. And But for the most part, yeah, like, like Steve was saying, you got to think, you know, I, can I get this pick and develop this guy? And what contract is this going to look like in 2012 or whatever? Um, I, and I think in a way, you know, the way that Boston and, and Miami have done that, um, that it's two, two theories, either a, you go all out right now, this is your chance. Yeah. Um, and if, you, if it doesn't work, then you're pretty much further behind than you were to begin with. And, um, you know, I, I, I liked, I just liked having the chance to talk to somebody who was a GM in the league yeah. a couple months ago. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, and and the way he was talking, it was like he's still going on. I love that he. Can. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just a different. I was going to say the only thing I refer to as we is little Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just. I mean, it's just a, a unique perspective, man. I I uh, I got. I have to start. Uh, you know, attacking it from that angle too, because. I, you know, I'm I'm one of these people that I think you can't guarantee, you can't bank on what you might do uh, two, or, two or three years from now because you could be irrelevant. So, I mean, overnight you can become irrelevant. If, you you know, right. if the wrong things happen or you make the wrong move, you got to play for today. But you really do. I think that's the interesting balance that coaches and general balance. managers always have. You know, yeah. the coach is always playing for right now and the general manager is always plotting for the future. Um, right. And when you have those two guys – you know, on different pages, that's where you see the, the you know, the, the dysfunction and, and the turmoil sometimes. So it's, and I, I think it's really hard to, to hit that balance. Yeah. You know, like, like, I mean, we've talked about when the Hawks were, were rebuilding from nothing to what they are now to becoming a playoff team. I mean, you've got to make certain decisions along the way that you can't mess them up. You have to, you have to get it right. Uh, and if you, you know, sometimes if you mess up one or two of those decisions, it, it can, uh, ruin the whole thing, the whole process. Is that a backhanded compliment to Billy Knight? You just no, that's a compliment to Billy Knight. Oh, okay. I mean, I think Billy Knight, the, the Hawks took it very slowly, but look, they, they made it. You know, they yeah. went from twelve wins to the second round of the playoffs this year, and uh, that's right. a lot of other teams have tried to rebuild and haven't been able to to get where they got. That's right, thirteen and sixty nine. The first year I covered them to uh, fifty three was... wins last season, which was just. As soon as you left, they made the second round. <laughs> they made the second round when I was there. They just, in fact, they didn't. They didn't go That's any right. further. That's it's hard right. to keep right. either of the second round appearances uh, separate. <laughs> they were very similar. No, I mean that, it is. It is. Uh, it is a delicate balance, and uh, not a, not many teams have been able to manage that. We're going to see if if something does get done with Carmelo, what that does to the Denver Nuggets, and I and I think it's interesting. If Carmelo leaves this year and LeBron left Cleveland this summer, those are the same two teams that were sitting at the top of the lottery when they came in the league 
Yeah. I'm curious to see if they'll be sitting at the top of the lottery again soon yeah. if both those deals get done because the one thing you can't get by without nowadays is you've got to have an anchor. You know, that's always been the case. But now more than ever, you've got to have somebody anchoring your team to build around. And I don't know that either one of them would have a, a true player you could build around if Carmelo does get traded. I think the other thing with this Carmelo deal is uh, – or pending trade or whatever – is uh, I mean, I'm I'm supposed to write the slam NBA preview. You better hurry and, up. But there's like four teams involved in this thing. It could affect. It could have a large effect on a lot of different teams, and a you know, the playoffs could completely change or, or whatever. So let's I, do it I, like a choose your own adventure. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea, Mike. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I'm waiting for this to happen, just like everyone else, to see see what goes down and you know what kind of effect this is going to have. We ought to start brokering deals on uh, the Hangtime Podcast. I mean, All we right. talked Wizards earlier. They got Gilbert. Nuggets need somebody. I mean, let's, you know, let's make some calls, Micah. You're the GM <laughs> around here. Get to work. <laughs> Speaking of the Wizards, Lang, talk to me about uh, John Wall, Gilbert Arenas in Washington, playing together. Uh, I'm assuming that that they're going to want John Wall to, to quote, unquote, be the, the point guard uh, and be the guy who runs the show and Gilbert to play off of him is the way I would imagine it working. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, you know, watching John Wall last year at Kentucky, the way that, that Calipari used him was a lot like the way Gilbert used to, to play um, before the injury where he was a point guard, but really more of a scoring point. And, and that was kind of the way Wall seemed to excel. So I, I'm curious how, uh, if Gilbert's going to be able to take a more of a supporting role or – if John Wall's going to take over or, you know, how, how does this work? And, you know, one of these guys uh, is going to have to not have the ball, basically. Uh, and I don't, I don't know which guy it's going to be. You think it's feasible to, for Gilbert at this stage of his career, even with all he went through, you know, uh, certainly last season, do you think it's feasible for him to take kind of a back seat to a rookie like Wall or any, any rookie? I mean, do you think that's a reasonable expectation uh, for the Wizards and for anybody in that organization to think that Gilbert is going to step step aside in some way to, to make room for Wall like that? You know, I, I don't know that stepping aside is really what they're, what they, he needs to do. I mean, I, I think more so like he can guide Wall and, and kind of show him the ropes. And uh, But I, I don't know that stepping aside – is exactly what, what they're going to want him to do. They're going to want him to be involved. And, and you know, there's going to be times where Wall's going to be in foul trouble. He's, he's a rookie. He's going to get calls against him. And, uh, you know, I, I just think they're going to ask him to do a little bit less than he's done the last few years. And, and that's probably to his benefit, uh, you know, with the injury troubles he's had the last couple of years. I, I would think getting Wall in there is only going to help them out. I, I'm just curious how this all plays together. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been reading uh, a lot of the stuff um michael lee good friend of both of ours obviously um wizards beat writer for the washington post and uh does a fantastic job on on the washington post website with his wizards wizards insider he's been talking a lot about the way flip saunders has always been able to kind of cater to his guards whoever they might be always kind of has been Mm -hmm. able to really you know get his guards involved and have them flourish and and i'm curious what we think you know, he's going to be more like, like, is this going to be a deal where, you know, wall is a, is a floor general type, or is this going to be a deal like the wizards had a few years ago when they had Larry Hughes and uh, Gilbert playing together where, you know, you don't know which one of them is going to bring the ball up 
in which one of them is going to be attacking, but they're both going to be coming at you all the time. Right. Um, but, I mean, let's let's check with somebody who may have an even better, you know, perspective <laughs> on, on all this stuff. Uh, Ronnie well, Thompson, uh, contributor here at NBA TV, uh, a lot of you might know, is now joining us on the Hangtime Podcast. And, and uh, Ronnie, first of all, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we've been talking about this wall and arenas thing, which I'm sure when people in D.C. are not talking about the Redskins, they find a couple of minutes to talk about uh, what's happening with the Wizards, man. And it's, we're just trying to, we're trying to figure out how this is going to work with John Wall and Gilbert Arenas together. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, you know, pretty intriguing. I, Flip Saunders – you know, is in a situation where I'm sure he's ecstatic to have two options like like he currently has with Wall and Arenas, but at the same time he's scratching his head trying to figure out how exactly I'm going to make this thing work. I think it's going to be a situation where, look, you have a guy like a John Wall who is a natural point guard. You know, he is the future of this franchise. He's not the kind of guy that you bring in. You don't take him the number one pick overall and say, I'm going to put you off of the ball. But then you have a guy like a Gilbert Arenas who demands so much of the ball being in his hands as well. I think Gilbert's going to have to make some adjustments this year. I think he's going to be the one that I think will ultimately have to alter his game a bit. bit. Whereas in the past, Gilbert always had the ball in his hand. He was always the one bringing the ball up court. He was always the one um, um, initiating the, the, the Wizards' offense. I think this year you're going to see him play off the ball an awful lot more than you have in the past. And I think... Just given, you know, everything that has happened, he has to take somewhat of a backseat in terms of his time that he's going to have the ball. But once you get into the half-court sets, once you're coming off the screens, then he has to now be aggressive and be the Gilbert that we know that, that, that he's been in the past. Ronnie, do you think Gilbert can do that? I think it's going to be very hard. Right. <laughs> you know, I, but I also think it's one of those situations where, you know, you, you, you call him in and you say, Gilbert, look, you know, you you have to change. I mean, and, and I think he knows he has to change in a lot of ways, not just not not just on the floor, but in some of the things off the floor. I think when the lights come on, uh, I think that in certain situations you want Gilbert to have the ball and not Wall. You know, if the, if the clock's winding down and mm-hmm. and and you know the game's on the line, of course you go to the veteran, you go to the guy that has done it before. But in terms of developing this this franchise, in terms of moving it into the next direction, it's clear that John Wall is the direction that they're going to go in. Ronnie, is is Kirk Heinrich kind of the linchpin to that whole thing working as well? <laughs> having having a backup, you know, for both those spots that can come in and play quality minutes. And See, sp- I think that was a great acquisition. If for some reason, you know, John Wall isn't making the adjustment or the transition that you want. Or, the, or that you expect you can bring him in. If for some reason Gilbert is not being as cooperative or, you know, you see that his knee isn't as strong or for some reason he's not playing as well, you can put him at the two while you have a guy like John Wall at the one. He is the key to all this, Heinrich. If Heinrich can stay healthy, I think he gives them a, an awful lot of dexterity in the backcourt because he can play either the one or the two, and he's comfortable with playing a supportive role. I think what's interesting about John Wall, John Wall – has flair, he has that that wow, that it factor. But in watching him play this summer and pick up with the Wizards, you know, just last week I was watching him, and he does not, he's not so, he doesn't feel so much of himself 
that he's not willing to be a team member or a teammate. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't think there's going to be a lot of friction there. So, I, you know, he's one of those guys that I think loves to play, wants to win. And if you need me to pass the ball early, if you need me to play a different role, I don't think he's one of those guys that's going to buck at, at, at having to make some adjustments himself. What do you think about the – we're talking a lot about the backcourt, the frontcourt. You know, Karan Butler's gone. Anton Jameson's gone. Brendan Haywood's gone. Yeah. Uh, I, they've got JaVale McGee back and, and Blatch and Al Thornton. Like, where, where did these guys go? What's their upside? Yeah. Well, when you, when, when you look at it, you know, you, you, you have John Wall, you have Gilbert back. So, wow, there's a lot of excitement. But when you look at the team, there are a few holes. I think you, they, they need – the Wizards have to do – something at some point in terms of um, addressing the fact that they need some quality wings, right. you know, some small forwards, you know, the Karan Butler type of player. So they, so they bring in an Adam Morrison who I think that they, in the, in the, in the Wizards' minds, think that he has more than a legitimate shot at making the ball club. Just because when you look at the numbers, when you look at the lineup, they don't have many small forwards. Al Thornton, he's more of a 4-3, a 3-4 a type of player. He's not a pure face-up kind of a guy. He's, he's the kind of guy that can do a little bit of both. So I think he has a legitimate shot. When you look at the post guys on this team, you have a lot of talented guys. You have Andre Blatch. You have JaVale McGee. Then you, um, you draft a guy like Booker from Clemson. You mm-hmm. have Yee Gillian. You know, he's one of those guys that he's a post player, but he's not a heavy, powerful kind of a guy. They don't have experience in the post. That's another, right. another hole. They have some young, talented guys that can do some flashy things. They'll make you say, ooh, uh, JaVale McGee, you know, prime example. Runs like a deer, rebounds like a deer, but it's still very, very green. Right. You know, he has to learn positioning. You know, he has to learn timing. He has to learn spacing on the floor. All the little things that you only acquire through logging minutes. He's never logged minutes consistently. He right. went through stretches of times last year and didn't even get on the floor. Right. So now he's going to be your starting center. The one guy that I really like, though, guys, and watching him play a lot this summer is Kaveen Serafin. He's only 20 years old, but he's one of those guys that I, that I like to say he has old man strength. He's just <laughs> innately just strong. You know, I used to go to the playground and play, and there's this one guy that just didn't look, wasn't that good, didn't look that strong, but you ran into him, and he's like, oh, wow. Yeah. He, yeah. Has the, he has that kind of strength at only 20 years old. You know, he, he gives them that physical presence, but he's only 20. You know, he, he hasn't logged many professional minutes in terms of being on the floor, but he'll give them some of that physical bulk and presence. But I think as the year progresses, they'll try to do as best they can at trying to acquire a veteran post guy along the way. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, now I'm assuming you have taken a nap already with this midnight tip-off, this, mid- this midnight yet. madness. <laughs> you guys ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> this midnight madness. But, I mean, is there? do you sense a concerted effort on the part of the Wizards to really reinvigorate their fan base up there by doing these sorts of things and letting them know that they're trying to turn the page. I see Wall as kind of like the face of these advertisements they're running and stuff. Is there some kind of groundswell up there about this team? Well, there's a huge buzz. There's a huge buzz, and I think Ted Leonsis is the master at getting the most out of whatever it is he needs to get the most out of in terms of promoting and the marketing aspect of it. You know, uh, I was speaking with Flip Saunders last week, and he was saying that, you know, he went to Ernie Grunfeld and said, you know what, I'm thinking about starting practice at midnight. And, 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 he, and I said, well, Coach, well, why would you want to do that? He said, well, what happens is because they have such a young team, he said the first practice is always shot. He said because guys are just so amped up, they can't mm-hmm. sleep, 
they, they hit the floor. They're so jittery. He can't really get anything out of practice. So he said he wanted to have a midnight practice, get the jitters out, and then come back later in the day so that they can get some work done. <laughs> so then the whole it went from that to let's do a midnight madness, and they've just pumped it up. It, it's the atmosphere here is a very, very good one right now. And, and I think the, the Wizards have needed that. They've needed a shot in the arm. They've needed, you know, new life to be pumped into to the organization. I think Teleontes has done a great job at that. Ronnie, do you think the Wizards can be a playoff team this year? I think it's going to be very tough, the way the team is comprised right now. Right. Mainly because of what I said earlier, you don't have an experienced post guy. You know, I mean, if you look at the teams that make runs in the playoffs, the right. guys, the teams that get to the playoffs, you have post guys that have logged minutes, that have been around, you know, that, that can just get it done, and they don't have that yet. And then also, they don't have an experienced wing player. Yeah. You know, you, you have a great backcourt, and then after that, you have some pieces and some holes that need to be filled. Now, what do they do before, you know, to try to, to hold everything down in, uh, until you get these other pieces that you need? I think they have to play it up tempo style. They have young legs. They have guys that like to get up and down the floor. JaVale McGee can run like a guard. You have, you know, Gilbert Arenas. You have John Wall. Play to those strengths until you're able. Use your speed. Use your, your, your youth, especially early on, to your advantage, as opposed to looking at it as everything that we don't have. But when it's all said and done, guys, the way the team is currently comprised, I think it's going to be tough for them to get into the playoffs. Yeah, Ronnie, one last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is it's kind of unique situation the Wizards are in normally if you had the number one pick in the draft and a player like Gilbert Arenas coming back from the kind of tumultuous season he had you'd be the number one headline in the league but in you know in their own division you got these guys in Miami you know and all that they did you got Carmelo stuff going on are they kind of sliding in behind the headlines a little bit and is that does that benefit this Wizards team going into training camp see I think that's just what you want if you're Flip Saunders going into the year if you're Flip Saunders as a coach, you, 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 you like the whole concept of Midnight Madness and, and the, the national attention that we're going to get by being on NBA TV, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you don't like it because you want to crawl in through the back door. You don't want anyone to think you're good. You, don't want, you want everyone to think you're really young and inexperienced and then try to grab some games as you go along. But, but for example, if you look, look at the Miami Heat. They have everyone gunning for them every single night. The Boston Celtics have everyone gunning for them every single night. So if you flip Saunders, you know, you're saying we're young, we're inexperienced, Gilbert hasn't played much in three years, John Wall has only played one year in college, you know, Seraphin, who's going to log a lot of minutes as a backup post, he's only 20 years old. So you're, you're, you're crying the blues if you're flip Saunders, right. hoping that you can edge up that ladder. But, you know, again, he wants everyone else to get all the hoopla, and as a coach, you want to kind of slide in through the back door and grab some wins and then see where you are, play, play as, 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 as efficiently, grab as many wins as you can before the All-Star break, and then right out of the All-Star break, see where you are and see if you have a chance to kind of make a run at the playoffs. That's awesome. Well, listen, I'm, I'm looking at the training camp countdown clock. you got about <laughs> 10 hours to squeeze a nap in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, do, try and take care of our man David Aldridge tonight too, would you? I will. See if you can't carry him. I'll do all I can to take care of D.A. Tell him that he needs to take care of me. (laughs) Definitely. Listen, Ronnie, we appreciate you so much. No worries. Anytime you need me, let me know. Okay, man, take care. Bye-bye. Lang, you know, I'm I'm interested to see 
what this looks like, and and now I know what I'm gonna be doing at midnight. Um, <laughs> so by the you know by the time everybody's listening to this thing, you know they'll they'll probably have seen the highlights and the clips from the Wizards Midnight Madness. I wish more NBA teams would do something like this. I, I like the offbeat stuff. Do something crazy like the Heat going to uh, the Air Force Base for you know their own version of boot camp slash training camp. I mean, Give me something different with training camp, man. It's 30 of them, you know. Maybe, maybe we should come up with some ideas for the teams. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to turn that over to the to the, uh, to the the dome. I don't know if I want people to slam dome cooking up, you know, recipes did, for training I, camp. I, I did hear, Josh Smith told me last week that uh, when the Hawks start camp tomorrow, that uh, Larry Drew is going to have a timed mile run for the players. Uh-oh. And they, they have to we'll, get a little – you worried about uh, Jason Collins pulling a Hainsworth? <laughs> Josh, Josh was a little worried about himself. Like, I think he was. I think his time was like seven and a half minutes. He has Uh-oh. to do that or something. And I was like, "Hey, just just go. <laughs> don't worry about it. Go for it. <laughs> Make sure you get some Gatorade in your system. I don't know. I don't know about that time mile. You've been I'm running. Glad, what yeah, what could you do with it? I don't have to run a mile. <laughs> time. <laughs> I don't. Know, I think if I had to run one mile, I run about three miles. But every time I go out, but I think if I had to do one, I can probably do it in seven and a half. Careful now. I, you, I know. I'm worried. We're gonna get you. We're gonna get you on tape. <laughs> I had as I was trying to think of the time. I had images in my head of like, you standing there with a video camera and a stopwatch. <laughs> Not Mario to be the uh, the rabbit this time either. <laughs> that's true. Hey, that's, hey, I'm just saying it's very interesting. Uh, you know, if you look at the Wizards' website and a lot of other stuff, they have they have certainly invested a lot of their immediate future in John Wall. I hope for their sake and his that it turns out the way they want it to be because knowing what I know about Gilbert Arenas and having watched him throughout his career, this is still his team as far as I, as far as I can tell. If Gilbert's going to be wearing a uniform, it's going to be pretty obvious that it's his team every night out there on that floor. I mean, he's been an all-star, several times and that comes from him having the ball in his hands yeah you know uh that's how he's been successful and he, the wizards are going to make the playoffs like you know ronnie was saying it's going to be tough for him but they're gonna have to get production not just from gilbert but john wall and and that's up to flip saunders to make that happen no doubt about it but once again another uh interesting show want to give some uh major shouts and thanks to ronnie thompson uh contributor for uh nba tv who's going to be on the scene in Washington for Midnight Madness, and also to Steve Kerr back in the TNT fold, thank goodness, uh, for coming on with us and, and dropping some knowledge and and uh, providing some insights. Now, here we are, back in the thick of things. The podcast will be coming at you rapid fire every week. Uh, we're even going to have a treat and, and fly Lang in here uh, in a couple <laughs> weeks. No, actually, we're not flying him in. He's coming, he's coming to town, so he's going to be in the studio. Taking Greyhound. He's, he's going to be in the studio with us, which should be a, uh, a true disaster with the two of us in here fighting and slap boxing in between uh, Micah <laughs> trying to referee it. So we'll be back. You can catch us on iTunes. You can catch Lang on Twitter, at Lang Whitaker, and uh, on Slam Online. You can see the Hangtime Podcast online at Hangtime Podcast on Twitter, NBA.com. This is Seku Smith from Micah Hart. And everybody else here at the uh, headquarters, we'll see you next week. All right, so uh, we just got to check and see 